that I'm excited is because uh, these verses reflect a lot of what we've been seeing happening around here at Genesis and things that I get to see with my own eyes, what Jeremy was talking about, the transforming power of Jesus that, um, you know, that we not only follow Jesus, but as we do, we become like him. And uh, so this chapter is pretty exciting because, uh, like, like I said, not only am I seeing sort of this in action here around this place, um, but we learn how in these verses to apply uh, what we mean by the transforming power of Jesus. So um, what we find in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 17, is six pretty short verses that give you pretty much everything you need to walk the Christian life and uh, just to live out the Christian life and also to have a, a pretty amazing walk of faith. And it's all packed into these six verses. And if you want to learn how to live out your faith, follow these verses. If you're a Christian and you're sitting there wondering like, well, why would I want to become a Christian? Um, follow uh, along as we check out these verses and uh, you'll see some pretty amazing things. So let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this uh, wonderful body of believers that we have here at Genesis. And I thank you that you are sovereign over all of us, that you, are, Jesus, are the head overall, the head of this body. And uh, Lord, we give everything over to you. Uh, we ask you that uh, you, your word would go forth with power this morning and meet us in our hearts and uh, help us to become more like you uh, as we follow after you and as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, let's take a look at those six verses really quick. And uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we look at the first line uh, in verse 12, it's pretty interesting, it says, because therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I love that word chosen. Um, it, it, it means we, we stand out from the rest. And, and um, we're going to talk more about this, but just to kind of give you an illustration in, in the world terms, I'll just tell you a, sort of a hypothetical story about a, a guy, um, just a regular guy like, like most of us, who's you know, wandering through life. He's graduated from college. He's been out in the workforce for a few years. And, you know, things are good, but not great. He's, uh, you know, nothing's bad, but nothing's really great. He's just kind of a, just a regular guy. Life goes on. And, and so there he is one day, and he, he looks across the room uh, at some function, and he sees the girl of his dreams, the golden-haired girl, the one that, you know, he just falls over for. And he's like, wow, 
how, how could I ever approach someone like this? I'm, you know, I'm kind of nobody, and she's like everything. Wow. And somehow, deep down within him, just like that deep down, that courage boils up, and he walks across the room, and he introduces himself and um, engages in conversation. And the next thing you know, he's, he just realized, it just came out, he asked her for a date, and she said, yes. So he goes home that night, like, yes! I can't believe it. It's awesome, you know? And he looks forward to the date, and, you know, he brings her flowers, and, and the date goes well, and they start seeing each other on a regular basis. And, and he's kind of blown away, like, I, like, who am I? Like, this awesome, beautiful girl. And, and he finds out as he gets to know her, not only is she beautiful, but she's funny, and she's nice, and, and she's nice to him. <laughs> he's like, wow, this is amazing. So... You know, he gives her gifts, and he takes her to nice places, and, and everything's going well. And when he's with her, it's wonderful. But, like, when he's home by himself, and he's just hanging out, he just starts wondering, like, how long is this going to last? Like, is this for real? I can't believe that this amazing woman would be with me. And so he gets just anxious and worried, and, you know, then it, it just sort of goes on, and this sort of cycle, and... Then comes the day, you know, after a couple of years, he gets up the courage to pop the questions. He gets down on one knee and asks her, will you marry me? She says, yes. And he can't believe it. He's just, he just wants to run around and jump and touch the ceiling. And everything changes because from that point forward now, all that doubt is gone. All that worry, all that anxiety about whether she would be with him because she had so many other choices, so many other men that would love to, to be with her, and she chose him. And what an amazing relief for him. And so his life was changed, that feeling of being accepted for who he was. It wasn't about the gifts, and it wasn't about the nice trips and things like that. She just wanted to be with him forever. And so, you know, this is a picture for us of what it's like to be with Christ, that it's just this um, amazing feeling of being chosen and being accepted. And what we're going to see in these verses is um, that we are accepted, that we are chosen, and that we can become, be like him who has chosen and accepted us. And what we're going to see here, too, is how to apply um, the lessons that, they, that um, as Paul provides us here in Colossians 3. So um, many of you might not have experienced the kind of acceptance that we're talking about. And so as we work through these verses, challenge yourself with that question of like, well, you know, what does it take for me to be accepted? And, and hopefully that, will be, that answer will be very prevalent for you as we go through these verses. So if you were here last week, um, Zach talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Um, putting to death the things of an earthly nature and that sin that we all have for which the wrath of God is coming. That cannot be avoided. Um, but uh, as Zach pointed out, you can put to death that sin nature and put on this new self, this amazing new self, uh, which is renewed in knowledge. Your mind becomes renewed and transformed in knowledge but you also become transformed into the image of your creator, into the image of Jesus. We become more Christ-like. And so uh, as we led into 
verses 12 to 17. I just wanted to review verses 9 and 10 again in chapter 3. Take a look at that where it says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It doesn't matter who you are, as the Bible says, Greek or Jew, slave or free, even if you're a barbarian, it doesn't matter. Christ is everything. He is in all. He is everything. And from chapter 1 of, of Colossians, verse 27, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, um, we have this hope, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. Let's take a look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and we'll see just how what, what that means. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So there's this sort of layer. Christ has been given all the fullness of the deity, of the Trinity. Everything has been given to Christ. And that fullness that is within him, which is more than we can imagine, that same fullness dwells in us. That's pretty overwhelming when you think about it. So you, do you really realize that as a Christian, that fullness of Christ dwells within you? It's, it's a lot. And so um, because Christ is everything and because Christ is in all, because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, because we are made alive with Christ, as Michael talked about a few weeks ago. Because Christ is in you, and because you have been chosen, and because you are dearly loved, because of all this, we should have a response. And how do you respond to this? And how do you even begin to respond to this? And that's what we're going to look at now, because Paul tells us to clothe ourselves, to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness. And Paul recognizes that doing this is not a natural part of who we are. We're just not naturally compassionate. Uh, many of us are not naturally kind. Some of you are. Uh, a lot of us aren't. Um, and so he gives us this image of putting on clothes. It's something from outside of us that goes onto us. You know, take me for example, if you want to look at compassion. Um, I was probably about the least compassionate person that you could meet. Uh, if you told me that uh, you had lost your job and it had been months, you know, since you, you've uh, been out of work, I'd be like, well, you're not sending out enough resumes, you know. Get on with it, you know? Um, but the Lord's changed my heart a lot in that, and, and that um, really came through getting involved with prison ministry. About 10 years ago, I got um, involved in prison ministry, and every Monday night, I would go down to the prison in Borica and teach uh, Bible study. And in fact, the group of people that I taught Bible study to in Borica Prison were the worst of the worst in the prison. They were the guys who were in protective custody because they were so nasty, 
that if they were in the general population that they'd be killed. And so this was the group that uh, I got to minister to and teach to. And I was mentored by two amazing guys uh, in, the, in the area of prison ministry. And they told me this one thing. And they said, Paul, if you go into that prison and you can't look at these guys, as Jesus looks at these guys, don't even come. It's not worth your time. You'll get nowhere. And so I really took that to heart. And I asked God for compassion. And God is really faithful when we ask for things like that. And he just poured that out into me. And ever, ever since, I've been really changed in terms of uh, having compassion for others. And now if you tell me that you've lost your job, I'll, I'll try to help you find a new one. And, um, uh, and, and I will. <laughs> it's, it's just I've changed a lot. Um, and that can happen with all of us. So when we talk about taking off the old clothes, putting on the new clothes, that's what we're to do. Paul admonishes us to put on this new self, to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness. But here's the problem. When we talk about taking off these old clothes, um, we, we like those old clothes. We, we, we take them off, we feel naked. And let's be honest, we're comfortable in those clothes, those old nature. And not only that, we take comfort in those old clothes. You see the difference? We're comfortable with them, but we also take comfort in them. And what do I mean by that? I would rather be angry and I'd rather be bitter at those people who, you know, the boneheads that just sort of tick me off and, you know, now and then. I'd be rather be angry at them. I take comfort in that because I know that I'm superior to them. It's kind of a pride thing. But if anger and business, so if anger and bitterness are the shirt and the pants of these clothes, we have an overcoat that goes with that, which is pride, right? I'm angry and I'm bitter because I have pride and I don't, I don't want to, uh, to bend in any way. And that overcoat of pride uh, binds all of this stuff together. Maybe for you, that overcoat is self-pity. Maybe it's something else. What are the clothes that you're wearing right now? Anger? Lust? Bitterness? What, what is it that you're wearing? Examine yourself. I encourage you to examine yourself. What pours out of us on a natural day-to-day -day basis, that which is pouring out of you is what you can take a look at. We tend to be blind to those things. So it's one of the reasons we need each other to help us point out these things that we're blind to. We're so comfortable in our anger and our self-pity and all that that we just, we think we're normal. <laughs> um, but so examine that. Um, for me, uh, I have this thing called self-righteousness. Uh, I tend to judge, it comes out, and I tend to judge other people. So don't worry, any of you here, I never judge people I know. It's always those people. You know, that guy, I can't, I, I'll come home, Patty, I can't believe that guy, he did this stupid thing, just, ooh. Um, or those people, right? And we're always talking about those people, right? Um, that's one of my issues. And, you know, the Lord's working on me on that. But how do we deal with this stuff? We all have our own list of things. 
um, I'll see you in redemption groups in September. Um, taking off the old clothes is a step of faith. And putting on the new clothes of compassion and kindness, gentleness, is an equal step of faith. Putting that on is no less of a step of faith than giving up the old stuff to Jesus. There are no like rules on how to do this. The Spirit of God will move, but let me suggest three steps on how you can sort of apply this to your life. The first one is simply to confess. Confess to the Lord that you are wearing old clothes, that you are harboring behaviors that are just unpleasing to him and that we are told that we should not have, as we saw in the first part of Colossians chapter 3, anger and malice and bitterness, all of these things. So confess them. The second one is to give permission to God. Now that might sound like kind of strange, like you have to give permission to God. This is a very powerful concept. If you've never heard this before, I want you to grab a hold of this. Jesus will respect your free will. Very much so. He honors your free will, and he wants you to have what you want. So if you want anger, and you want bitterness, and you want lust, Jesus, that's what you can have. For Jesus to come in and take those things away from you, you have to give him permission to do that. You have to literally ask him to do that. So this is a pretty important concept because without giving Jesus that permission to do that, he is not going to come in and rip them away from you just because they're not good for you. He won't do that. He wants you to give him permission. And the third thing is to ask. So you give him permission to take the things away, and then you ask him, Lord, just please take these things. Give me a heart of compassion. Fill me with kindness. Teach me how to be gentle. Show me how to be patient with these people who are driving me crazy. Show me these things. And he will do that. He will be faithful to do that. But first you have to give him permission to come in and enter into your life. And, uh, and he will do that. And in doing all this, be intentional. Be intentional, keeping your heart and your mind, which is verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, keep your hearts and your mind fixed on things above. And don't, you know, try not to be distracted. It's hard not to be distracted in this world. But keep your, your mind fixed on things above, fixed on what the Lord can do, and be expectant. Expect things to happen. This concept of being acceptant uh, expected is the essence of faith. We ask, we wait, and we wait in expectation. And then God moves, and you see things happen, and then the final result of that is we rejoice. Peace and joy, right? With joy comes peace. And, and this is what the walk of faith is all about asking, waiting on the Lord, receiving, and knowing when it comes, and you will, and rejoicing. And we are called to be a rejoicing people. We are called to be filled with joy and peace. And this is where all this is driving to. So, 
Give your old clothes to Jesus and receive, literally receive, these new clothes, these wonderful gifts of the Spirit that Jesus is offering us. So what would it look like for you this week if you were to actually do that, to confess and to give God permission to enter into your life and to ask him to take off the new clothes and give you new clothes? What would it look like if you did that today? And what would your week look like as a result? Can you imagine how that might change your attitude around the office or where you work uh, or on the highway? Uh, Just saying. Uh, Imagine what that would look like. So we're talking about compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And Paul talks about these particular traits and I was kind of wondering, is, is Paul trying to make a point with these particular traits? It's like, absolutely. There's nothing about those traits that are inherent in me or that are about me. They're about how I treat other people. I treat other people with compassion. I treat other people with kindness. Maybe humility is about me a little bit, I have to say. Um, that was a joke, by the way. Um, but it's about how we relate with other people so where Paul is going in this passage is like he doesn't want you to stop at improving yourself which is awesome it's good you should be compassionate kind but um, these things that we're marked by as we become more humble and gentle we become more like Jesus um, he's pointing to the church as well we'll get to that Uh, a little bit more in a minute. Let me take a side note here and go to 2 Corinthians 3.18 for a minute. Because as we change and become more like Jesus, we are reflecting something to the world. And this is what this verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we become more like Christ, as we clothe ourselves with these qualities, we are becoming transformed with ever-increasing glory. This is, this is amazing. So... I was sort of sitting with this, and I said, well, why, why is it that we don't talk much about glory? Um, you know, we don't sit in a coffee shop and say, hey, you know, what have you been thinking about God's glory lately? I, mean, I haven't heard anybody talk about that. And I'll tell you one reason that we don't, is it's just too hard to comprehend. It's hard for us to get a, a, a grip on what God's glory is. That reminds me of one of my favorite movie scenes from uh, a movie called A Few Good Men. Do you know that movie? Right? Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise is the the young, brash uh, military lawyer, and Jack Nicholson is the evil colonel, and they're in court. And uh, Tom Cruise looks at Jack Nicholson and says, uh, I need answers. And Jack Nicholson says to him, You want answers? And Tom Cruise looks at him and says, I want the truth. 
Jack Nicholson jumps out of his chair says, you can't handle the truth. And at that moment, Tom Cruise knows he's got him right where he wants it. But that line, you can't handle the truth, was conveying to Tom Cruise, like, you don't know what I know. It's too big. It, if you knew what I knew, you'd be scared you'd run in a hole and hide. And God's glory is actually kind of like that. If you knew how big it was, God's glory is so immense it's so intense. It's so big. Uh, it is God. It's the essence of God. If you were to see God's glory in its fullness, it would literally kill you. And that's why when God wanted to show uh, Moses his glory, God put him in the cleft of the rock and passed by with his back because it was too intense for Moses to see. It would have, he would have died. That's why when the high priest would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, that it was only one high priest who was allowed to go in there, and he had to be purified, and he had to be fully prepared to go into that holy place where God's glory was so intense that if he hadn't properly prepared himself, he would die. And when Moses came off the mountain and spent all that time in God's presence, and God's glory was just radiating from Moses' face when he came down. And all the people were going like, whoa, Moses, cut it out. It's too much. Like, put something over your face. And so Moses literally put a veil over his face to, to cut the glory. Um, the people couldn't look upon it. They couldn't stand it. This glory that we're talking about is our hope. Colossians 1 verse 27 talks about Christ in you. We have Christ in us, the hope of what? The hope of glory. And that hope that we have is not just for eternity. It's for now also. We are to reflect God's glory to the world much like Moses did. So you can say, well, yeah, but uh, Moses was the chosen one. He was one in 10 million. And yes, you'd be right. He was one in 10 million. He was the one who could enter into God's presence, who could sit in God's glory, who could look at God face to face and speak with him. And he would do that outside the camp when the Israelites were in the wilderness. He would do that and he would go into the tent and God's glory would rest upon the tent and Moses would be in there and all the people would stand out and wow, God's here. Moses is in there. That's awesome. And it was a pretty amazing sight. And to think that, yeah, Moses was that chosen one. He was one in 10 million. But the fact is, while Moses was the chosen one in 10 million, we are the 10 million chosen. You get that? More than 10 million probably. But we, the many, are chosen. And... This, in fact, is the point of the mystery that was hidden from the ages that it talks about in chapter 1, is that it's not just one man that comes. It's Jesus comes and gives this gift to all of us that Jesus would not be the only one that reflects glory in the world for a short time, but all of us can reflect the glory that Jesus had when he was here. So, in light of the fact that we are chosen ones, we're to be radically different in the way that we engage with the world and the way that we engage with others. 
But it all starts with how we treat each other here in the church body. So now that you have all this compassion and kindness that you're clothed with these new clothes, uh, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to apply that? So Paul tells us in verse 13 of chapter 3, and in verse 13 it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever, whatever grievances you may have one against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's interesting, the first part of that line, bear with each other. You know, that's Paul's admonition to the church, you know, bear with one another. Don't you think that's kind of lame? Right? Just bear up with each other and you know, get, try to get along. Forgive one another. Obviously, Paul's going uh, a lot further with this. Forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. Ask yourself the question, who are you holding something against? Is it easy to forgive those who have wronged you? I, I'll be honest, it can be very difficult. However, if you're equipped with compassion and kindness and patience, uh, among all the other gifts of the Spirit, if you're equipped with these things, it makes it so much easier to forgive. We can do that. And not only that, we can be eager to forgive and to uh, ask for forgiveness as well because we all make mistakes. Um, and, and let me say something about compassion as well. Compassion, you know, we rightly think of compassion as having sympathy for someone who's in a bad situation, right? The guy who lost his job, you know? Before I had compassion, I didn't care. Now I do, like you lost your job, I, I really feel for you. Um, the word mercy, though, is what you do about that. Mercy is the act of, of giving, the act of meeting that need. And so biblically, the word compassion that Paul is talking about here embodies both of those. And so when I have compassion on you because you lost your job, I'm not only going to feel for you, but I'm going to help you find a job. Uh, if you don't know how to use the internet properly to find a job, I'm going to show you. If you need to network, I'm going to help you. That's what compassion is. Compassion and mercy are, are together in one. And so the context of this bear one another, forgive one another, is the church. And Paul's driving to two other qualities that make us, the church, distinct from the rest of the world. Yes, we can bear up with another, one another. Yes, we can forgive each other. But verse 14 says this, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So he's talking about binding the compassion and the kindness and the gentleness with the bearing with one another, with forgiving one another, and, and uh, these are all things we're to put on the clothes, but the overcoat, right, that goes over all of that is love. And that one binds them together in perfect unity. So it's this love that ties everything together. And the word unity is really important. And we, the church, are supposed to be marked by this love that we have for each other. And how does that play out? 
we're kind to one another. We take care of each other. We watch each other's backs. It's the guys are always talking, hey, I got your back. Um, this is the things that we do. And the result of all this is an amazing thing. With a big group of people like this, the result of all this is unity. And Jesus cried out before he left. He cried out to the Father, Lord, let them be one. Let them be unified. Let them experience unity. Can you imagine a community that was marked by these things where all the people were clothed with kindness, gentleness, that were compassionate for each other's situations? And that a community was bound together with love. Can you think of what that would look like? It would be pretty awesome. Genesis, I, I just want to encourage you all. Um, personally, I am just so proud of all of you. Um, I'm blessed by you all to be a part. I'm blessed to be a part of this body of believers. And not just myself, but the other elders, Michael and Jeremy. We are so blessed because you do reflect these qualities. We see that here. You love one another. You play these things out. And because of that, we have a rare testimony. There is unity in this place. There is love in this place. And if you come into here and you can't notice that or feel that, um, well, you should notice that and feel that because that's, that's what's happening here. So I encourage you, keep it up. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect and we're not perfect as a body. But the good news is, that we are being continually transformed into the likeness of the king. We're being continually transformed into this ever-increasing glory. And this glory is what we are to reflect out to the world and makes us attractive to people who are on the outside who don't know what all these things are. They don't have this in their homes. They don't have this in their workplaces. And you can come here and go like, wow, it's real, for real. And for us here, these things are true, and we can rest. We can find rest in these truths. And it should bring us peace. In fact, uh, peace is our calling. It sounds kind of weird, right? But in, in verse 15, it actually says that peace is our calling as Christians. Uh, and maybe some of you are saying, well, it's not going to happen at my house. If you haven't been to my house, there's not a lot of peace there. But... Um, Let's look at verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. So look at the first word. It says, Let. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is a fairly simple how-to, a fairly simple application. As we mentioned earlier, we need to give God permission to work in us. And the truth is that God is the one asking, and we're the ones that need to give him permission. I mean, that sounds so totally messed up. Like, no, we're supposed to be asking God. No, God is always knocking at your door. He's always asking. And we're the ones that have to give him permission. Let me give you an illustration of this. I have a swimming pool in my backyard. 
And uh, although this year is pretty good, uh, the water is looking good. In past years, there have been times when that pool has turned green and slimy and really disgusting. So not only would you not want to swim in it, you just don't want to be near it because it looks pretty awful. So imagine I'm out in the front yard one day where you can't see the pool, it's out in the back. Imagine I'm out in the front yard working away and uh, this guy just comes up to me out of nowhere and says, uh, hey, you have a green and dis disgusting pool, don't you? you like, uh, yeah, how did you know? And he goes, well, you look like the kind of guy who has a green and disgusting pool in your backyard. I'm like, wow, thank you. But I perceive that you are some kind of a pool prophet. A reference to the woman at the well there. And he says, makes no comment to that, but he says, sir, he says, I can renew your pool. I can make your pool water clean and shiny and pure again. He said, I, I'd love to do that. Can I do that for you? And my immediate reaction is, these guys in my front yard, is like, whoa, time out, pool profit guy. How much is this going to cost me? Like, I know a scam when I see one. And he says, uh, no, this isn't going to cost you anything. I'll do it for you for nothing. Cleaning pools is my calling. And I would love to do this for you, and I'd love to do it now. Can I get, can I get started? And so I'm left with a choice. Standing there in my front yard with this pool profit guy I've never met before, I can either tell him to go away, or I can give him permission to come and do what he says he can do. The reality is that every one of us has a dirty pool. We all have our hearts are full of junk. And Jesus is coming to us and he's offering to take away this junk. He's offering to clean us up. And he can do this, and he wants to do that, and he's asking to do that. And he can replace all of those awful things with these beautiful new things, like compassion and kindness, things that maybe you haven't experienced at the level he wants you to experience them. And he wants to do that. And he's asking, and you need, we need to give him permission to do that. Jesus can take away hurt, he can take away anger. He can take away bitterness. He can take away shame. He can do this. And he wants to do this. And when you take these old things away and you replace it with these new things, this other thing happens is where this amazing peace comes. And Philippians 4.7 says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, all of this is big. This peace is beyond our understanding. It's too hard to get a handle on, but we can apprehend it. We can receive it. God is offering us peace, and we can let that peace come into our hearts. This peace, peace which will guard our hearts and minds. So our response as a body is not only to bear with one another, 
but it's to encourage and to love one another. Let's look at verses uh, 16 and 17 in chapter 3. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude, um, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the end game of all of this newness that we have is to love one another, that the body would be enriched and full, and that Christ as the head of the body would be working through and in all of us. So remember, take hold of these truths. You have been chosen. You have been accepted. You are holy. And you are dearly loved. And what God is calling us to is two simple things. God wants to pour into you. He wants to pour into you all of these things. He's the one that will fill us. He's the one that will be the source of love and compassion and kindness. That's number one. And number two, he wants us to pour that out to others. Pour out to others what God is pouring into you. I guarantee you, you cannot outpour God. Let God pour into you. Give him permission to pour into you. And then start that active transition to pouring out to others. And you'll be amazed at what happens when you start serving others well and loving others well as God pours into you. So what is keeping you from putting on these clothes of compassion and kindness and love? What's holding you back? Do you think you're not good enough? You're accepted. Do you think you don't deserve what God has for you? You are chosen. Do you think that you're too sinful to put on these new clothes? Christ has made you spotless and blameless. Would you feel naked after you give up your old clothes? Yeah, you might for a while, but not if you put on these new clothes and start serving others. You'll be filled. Peace and joy will take over where anger and bitterness left off. I trust me in that. Trust God in that. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are harboring unforgiveness? If you are, that's destroying you, not the person that you're harboring unforgiveness towards. Not only is it hurting you, but it's blocking your relationship with God. And this may be what is keeping you from putting on this clothing of humility and compassion. Because you have this cloak of anger or self-pity or lust. If you don't give that up, you can't get this other new clothes. Because you can't wear two cloaks. You can't wear one and have the other one on as well. You can only wear one. Our choice is simply to just be willing to move in that direction. You can't do it by yourself. You can't take off the bad coat any more than you can put on the new coat by yourself. So today, I want to ask you as you sit here, would you say enough to anger and to bitterness and to unforgiveness? And would you say yes to kindness and compassion? Will you allow God to work on you? Will you give him permission to take your old clothes, leave them at the cross, and to give you new clothes?
I strongly encourage you, if you're a Christian, to think about these things today and to give God that permission to take the old, to give you the new, and to step out and begin to pouring out, begin to pour out to others. If you're not a Christian and you're sitting here listening to all this, I encourage you to step out in faith and experience the life-transforming work of God's Spirit that can happen in your life. It's beyond what you can imagine. If you're not a Christian, you've not experienced this before, but I've seen it over and over and over with the people here in this community. It's awesome. So as you come to the table today, um, how are you going to respond? What is your response to God as you come? You come before the cross, you come before the Lord, and you remember with the juice or wine that it was his blood that was spilled out as a sacrifice that made all this possible that it was his body that was broken for us, that we might be whole and well and transformed into new beings. All of this was possible because of what Jesus did on the cross and that he was risen again and in power. In power. And it's that same power of the resurrection that happened that lifted Jesus from the dead. It's that same power that works in us. So I invite you to come. And uh, we'll have... Um, couple of the elders or leaders uh, here to pray with you. Um, I encourage you to do that, just to pour your heart out to, to God and um, just allow God to work in your heart. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all that you're doing in our midst. Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign and that you see everything from beginning to end. And you knew every person in here you knew where they'd be today, and you know where they'll be tomorrow. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Help us to give up that which is old and that which is not honoring to you, and to take on these beautiful gifts of the Spirit, compassion and kindness and gentleness. Lord, help us to become more like you. This is an amazing truth, Lord, that we can become more like you. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this body of believers who believe these things. And help us, Lord, to keep moving ever towards you. We praise you. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.